They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. All right. Thank you for joining us on the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. I have an awesome guest today. Just finished recording our conversation with Dave Nafziger uh, from Brand Verity, the founder, um, recently acquired by Partnerize. But before I get into his introduction and to the, the podcast, let me talk about a few things. Um, if you don't know who I am, I'm Jamie Birch, CEO and founder of JEB Commerce. We manage affiliate programs uh, for our clients. Now, right now, if you are wondering what you need to do uh, to make sure your affiliate program is top-notch and is all set up to survive the current turbulent times. We're recording this July 2nd of 2020. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. We've created a 20-step guide called Affiliate Marketing Strategies to Survive and Thrive. And in there, we talk about every aspect of your program uh, and how you can make sure that your program is set up to be successful as you can. So Dave Nassviger, the uh, uh, founder uh, and CEO of Brand Verity. Uh, if you're not familiar with Brand Verity, do, they do some awesome work uh, to make sure that your brand is protected in paid search, but also with compliance. So we talk about all sorts of stuff today. We talk about his uh, career uh, and some of the milestones uh, that he has had, his startup uh, history, and how in the world he went from a civil engineer uh, in the Air Force to running uh, one of the uh, prominent uh, vendors in the affiliate marketing space and what that journey was like. So we talk about all sorts of stuff. And I discovered that the origin story of Brand Verity is the identical situation that I explain to people when I tell them they need Brand Verity. Uh, so it's been awesome. We talk about the acquisition. And, you know, his first call that he made after that uh, and all sorts of stuff in between, as well as how do you manage a team in times like this and leadership lessons and things like that. So if you're an advertiser and you're thinking about your affiliate program and wondering if you're getting the right sales, if you're paying for too much and if your, ch if your other channels are protected with what they're spending and how sales are being attributed, I definitely want to recommend you listen to this podcast all the way to the end because we talk about specifically the things, the problems that Brand Verity solves, how it protects you as a brand, and the many unique ways that uh, nefarious affiliates can be targeting your brand, can be taking credit for sales. Uh, they shouldn't be. And Dave shares with me one pretty outrageous story that I never heard of before of how one affiliate was uh, really doing a pretty innovative and creative way to get commissions that they had not earned. So you want to listen to that. It's a really great podcast with a, a phenomenal uh, guest, uh, a guy I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for uh, and has been a, a good friend for a long time. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's just dive right in to our conversation with Dave Nasperger. All right, Dave, welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. I will do my best to not go into my radio voice. <laughs> How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. I I'm always excited to chat with you. Over the years, we've had uh, some really good conversations uh, about affiliate stuff and performance marketing and compliance and uh, affiliates doing things in search that they're not supposed to. And then we've had some really good conversations about just life and life as a founder and a startup founder and a CEO and stuff like that. So um, been, uh, you know, I was excited when you, you accepted the invite and during our prep call. So I think today is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks again for having me here. I, I've always enjoyed our conversations and, and almost always walked away with something that I, I could take, take away as well. Great, great. Well, you guys, you're in Seattle, right? 
we are in Seattle. So you guys have had an exciting uh, couple of weeks over there, and I, I, I've, I think I saw that they're breaking up the, is it Chaz or Chop? Chop. Chop. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, I would say uh, Seattle, I think, has really felt itself somewhat at the the cultural center of the Black Lives Matter movement, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, certainly a lot of the folks on our team have have been out with the protests and. Me and my daughters have, have gone to the corner a few blocks from our house where a few folks gather in the evenings and um, and carried Steins out as well. So it's, it's certainly been a big part of uh, our world um, over the last few weeks. Yeah, definitely. If uh, it has been a crazy first six months of 2020, we're recording this uh, July 2nd, um, and it has been uncertain from yeah. uh, from the outset, right? I, you know, um, I, I think I read a, a fun quote that was something along the lines of, uh, you know, it feels like the the, the phrase hindsight is twenty twenty uh, has a special meaning now than it maybe did before. <laughs> yeah, uh, something's twenty twenty. Uh, I saw someone uh, a meme that showed uh, someone putting a gremlin into the sink and said, "Are you ready for July?" I'm like, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that me understanding that meme uh, dates me significantly. But yeah, both. So how did you guys react at, at Brand Verity? Were you already remote? Did you, you know, move remote sometime in, in February or March? Yeah, so we we followed, we weren't already remote. Um, we've got two two primary offices and then uh, two remote folks. Um uh, you know, certainly the offices in Seattle, and then we've got uh, a team in London. And as COVID nineteen spiked in Seattle, and we were certainly Seattle was certainly at the the early on the detection timeline of learning that there was a problem. Uh, you know, we followed uh, sort of state and local guidance, and you know, I want to say, uh, you know, we made work from home sort of universally encouraged, uh, I think a little bit before the, the, the city did. Um, and then, you know, sort of, so I guess it's all in March. Uh, and then, you know, when, uh, you know, sort of closed the office and went full remote, uh, pretty much uh, at the start of the whole process. Yeah, we, we were uh, similar uh, in, in that. Now, what, what have the challenges been as a leader you know, what challenges did you find that you had that when everyone went remote, you didn't have before that? Oh, man, it's a great question. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of organizations have, you know, responded in different ways and experienced it in different ways. You know, in our case, because we've had some remote staff and remote office, I think at least from a systems and processes and technology standpoint, we are relatively ready to go. Um, you know, we relied on Google Meet pretty pretty heavily. I think it was maybe even called Hangouts back then. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, you know, tried to document many of our meetings uh, and, uh, and and key decisions so that folks could see them. Uh, you know, but the hardest thing has just been the the loss of that sort of interpersonal connections. And video goes a long way, but it just doesn't quite, you know, capture. The body language yeah. and the sentiment and, and, and the feeling. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, but going through an acquisition mm-hmm. with everyone remote and not being able to be there in person and, you know, sort of talk to the team and understand their excitement and their anxiety and, you know, the full range of emotions. Uh, you know, I felt like I got sort of a, a, a lower quality version of it over over video chat than what we could could ever really do in person. You know, when I heard the news, and we'll definitely talk about it uh, later on, I didn't even think about that. You know, there's a, an excitement you guys get to share together, high fives and and uh, hugs and all of that that you don't get. And did you feel, I mean, did, was there a feeling of like, you, like this had robbed you of that moment? <laughs> like an acquisition, an exit is amazing. That's a huge milestone. Was there any feeling of like, oh, man? You know, I, I still feel that moment's coming. Um, I think, you know, the, the truth is the anxiety of, of the change was probably much greater for the team uh, than, than I really could anticipate. You know, we, mm. we made the announcement to the team and later to you know, 
later publicly about the acquisition. Kind of it was like mid or late April, um, so right in the midst of uh, you know COVID nineteen shutdowns, yeah. and you know we've certainly had customers uh, you know that that were pausing their their accounts, and you know the uncertainty in the world was tremendous, uh, and you know this was something we had been working on since January, so it. It, I had certainly acclimatized to the idea well, well before, you know, most of the team. And when we told the team, you know, I, I was excited about the announcement. I wanted to sort of share that enthusiasm. Um, I didn't recognize immediately. And this is one of the things that happens when you're remote. You're, it's much harder to do is recognize that the anxiety of the announcement, what that might mean for the team. And, you know, yeah. sort of people are, I'm sharing excitement about what we can build together and there are people on our team, you know, wondering whether they'll have a job. Uh, and I hadn't yeah. done a good job of communicating beforehand or during this that, you know, this is a growth story. This is, this is you know, an accomplishment for us all. This creates, you know, great career opportunities for the team and, and so on. And so it, you know, it definitely was much harder and much different and, you know, much less successful of an announcement um, in the midst of COVID and doing so while everyone was remote. Damn you, 2020. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and what uh, I, when this all happened, I reached out to uh, my mentors and said, okay, now this is different. What do I need to do? And they, they, they said, uh, uh, transparent communication. Yeah. And often have that transparent communication because it's, it is so, it's so different. You know, you're not getting that, you know, I used to, one of the struggles I had as a CEO, and, and maybe you had this too, is, uh, but I I feel emotions a lot. I'm a I'm a feeler, and so if I just had a difficult conversation with something unrelated to work, and I walked around the office, you know, with a sour face on, uh, you know, my staff could interpret that as related totally. to them. Yep. And so I really started to focus on. When I'm in the office, I need to make sure that I have that, uh, you know, the proper energy um, around. And that that can really help when you have new things and, and you know, things are changing and, and uh, I, you know, things like that. Uh, and you lose that in the remote. It's really hard. Totally. Did you guys do anything to like to recreate that, you know, before, after that acquisition announcement? So certainly as as COVID uh COVID-related uncertainty increased. Um, we were very quick to, you know, to increase the frequency of our communications with the team, increase the frequency of our respective meetings. Our leadership team went to three times weekly from one times weekly meetings. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we uh, went from, you know, we would get maybe eighty percent of the staff at our weekly all hands, and you know that sort of began to bump up against one hundred percent, and so we added in. Um, a, a weekly email to the team, kind of update them on things. Um, and so, you know, we certainly increased the pace with which we communicated and tried to be much more intentional about uh, sharing what we were seeing and experiencing as a business. Um, you know, and then, you know, certainly post acquisition, uh, you know, we're finding sort of a new cadence of, of communication with the folks to ensure that everyone feels connected to our, our new broader business and to our new new, uh, you know, sort of other employees, uh, new team members. Um, you know, we still haven't, I'd say, celebrated properly. Uh, we'll, we'll do that once we're able to, to get together as a team again. It's, it's a thing that I feel like just has to be done in person. Oh, yeah. The team deserves it. You deserve it. Uh, that, that'll, that'll be fun. Now, I want to get into the acquisition because I'm, I'm super excited for you and I want to talk about it. But tell me, how did you go from, I saw that, uh, and I didn't know this, you, uh, you graduated uh, from the Air Force. Did you, were you in the service? Mm, uh, yeah. So I, um, uh, I've been, let's see, I went through MIT on an Air Force ROTC scholarship. Oh. And uh, those scholarships typically come with a four-year active duty commitment. Uh, so I graduated. This you know this is going to date me, but I graduated in, in 1998. Um, and at the time I was graduating, the Air Force was in a drawdown, and so they no longer needed all the second lieutenants that they thought they would need um, mm -hmm. when they originally contracted me. 
uh, and you know everybody else for that matter. And so they created a, a system to allow the uh, folks who had gone through ROTC to instead of serving a four-year active duty commitment to serve a six-year uh, guard or reserve commitment. So I uh, went directly into the Maryland Air National Guard and uh, became a civil engineer there uh, and did so while you know holding a normal civilian job. And so you know the traditional guard reserve model of you know, a, a weekend a month and two weeks a year, hmm. uh, you know, was very much my world. Although, you know, the, the pace was actually much higher than the, uh, than as advertised. Uh, and, and I had a phenomenal experience. Um, I, uh, you know, stayed in that civil engineering unit well past the six year commitment. Um, I think I was there seven, eight years, and then transitioned to a cyber warfare unit uh, within the NSA um, and, uh, you know, worked with that group for additional four and, you know, probably would have stayed with it. Uh, but, you know, as I'm sure you can speak to between family and, and company, my, my time for other things really dwindled. Um, and I had to make some really hard choices about prioritizing my time. And, um, and, and that wasn't a thing that, uh, it, you know, it was such a big commitment and, uh, you know, I, I really needed that time to be with family and, and business. And so, you know, I, um, uh, left the guard service, uh, which was, you know, sort of, uh, you know, active duty, uh, you know, after 12 years of serving, which is well past digital commitment. So I feel like they got, they got a good wow. deal on their initial, uh, scholarship. Well, that's fantastic. So first, thank you for your service. Um, and second, you know, was that, was, uh, was the Air Force something you always wanted to do? Mm-hmm. Um, or was this, a, you know, how did that come about? You know, I don't, I didn't grow up wanting to be in the military. I definitely grew up a very, and, and remain a very proud American. Uh, and, uh, you know, loved the idea of flying, um, you know, even though I never flew, right? Like it wasn't a part of the thing, but like, it just sort of seemed like, a good way to contribute to this thing that has really created a ton of opportunity for me personally and, and certainly my family as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it sort of was both an opportunity to you know, fund my education, um, you know, but also, you know, contribute to something that I found, you know, to have been really important to, to me and my upbringing. So how did you go from civil engineering yeah. To, so how did how did you get to affiliate marketing? Yeah, I want to I, um, I want to hear all about it. I'll, I'll do I'll do the abridged version. Um, you know, my undergraduate degree was in mechanical engineering. The civil engineering I did in the Air Force was really the closest I came to ever truly using that, that engineering degree. Um, my civilian job when I graduated from my MIT was to work as a management consultant at Bain and Company, um, and so like zero technical you know applicability although um it, it helped me develop really good excel skills and i feel like my technical background helped uh frame that um i was only there for about two years uh and you know this was 99 ish um and a few friends and i uh you know felt uh that uh you know we should start a company and we didn't really know what it was going to be and so uh you know we all quit our respective jobs and and began working on a startup. Um, you know, I don't remember exactly what the initial concept was, but I'm sure it would have crashed and burned. Uh, and along the way, uh, as we were networking with other folks who had launched and built companies to, you know, to sort of to learn and understand their world, uh, we, we met a, a team that was launching a company um, and uh, you know, they had way more experience than we had and, and they made the offer for us to join as what was effectively sort of a, a junior co-founder role. Um, so uh, myself and my two friends uh, helped launch this company called Quova, uh, which uh, takes IP addresses, you know, the sort of the, the envelopes that are used uh, or the addresses that are used to, to send uh, traffic back and forth across the internet. And we build a technology that maps those IP addresses to geographies. Uh, my role there was initially in uh, a business development context. I later went on to run the research team uh, that develop the algorithms that relate IP addresses to geographies. Um, so I don't know whether, you know, Google still uses Quova, but there's a point in time where when you would do a search on Google, uh, 
uh, Google would use your IP address and, and check brand, uh, Quova's data to figure out where you're located and present targeted AdWords based upon that geography. Uh, we certainly sold it, you know, to uh, for for targeting online, but you know, our primary buyer was uh, someone, you know, typically an e-commerce company that was trying to seek out fraud. You know, somebody was uh, using a credit card with a billing address in uh, Coeur d'Alene, uh, a shipping address to Miami, which is known for freight forwarding, uh, mm-hmm. and a uh, IP address in you know, let's say the Ukraine. Uh, that might suggest that something untoward was happening with the transaction and that the e-commerce company probably wanted to look at it a little bit closer. Yeah. So I, I worked with them for, you know, four or five years uh, and, uh, you know, moved back across the country that was in the Bay Area to uh, support my wife's graduate school program and found working remotely uh, unrewarding and, and began to think about what to do next. Uh, I I connected to a few of the, the early founders at Quova, and one of them was launching a company that was a, a Yelp competitor once upon a time. Um, and uh, you know, I ended up joining, it was called Judy's Book, I ended up joining Judy's Book uh, in Seattle, and that's what led me to move out to Seattle. And you know, Judy's Book was you know, less of restaurant reviews and more of reviews of local service providers. Uh, and we were really trying to figure out our business model. This is, you know, pre-mobile, and I think that was really one of the key trends that you know we didn't see as a business. Um, uh, but as we were trying to figure out how to make money, uh, we became an affiliate. Uh, so much like you know mm. many other content sites out there, many other review sites, uh, Judy's Book was an affiliate, and it was a new world for our team. Uh, and you know, at, uh, at Judy's Book, I ran the engineering team, and um, uh, we had folks, you know, running marketing and uh, and sales and so on, and uh, we began to get lots of visitors to uh, local review, uh, you know, reviews of local stores. On those reviews of local stores, and this would know, be a review of like your local Gap store, uh, we started putting coupon codes. You know, a very familiar um, uh, world, I think, to many in the performance marketing industry, and those began converting. And so we were, you know, for the first time as a business starting to see money. And so our marketing team, you know, liked what they were seeing. And so they did the thing that seemed most obvious to them at the time, which was to go purchase some AdWords to that page. Um, And I think you might know sort of where this story goes. Uh, But, you know, fast forward. (laughs) I can see it now. (laughs) Several days later. And uh, we get an email from The Gap. I think it was The Gap uh, that, uh, you know, said they had found us uh, buying uh, keywords on their, uh, I think it was Gap coupons or something like that, yeah. and asked us not to do that. And we had no idea that we were violating a policy. We didn't know that, you know, that it seemed like there was a lot of people doing that. And, uh, and this is in know, like 2005? Uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. I think 2005-ish, 2006-ish. Um, so long ago. I know. <laughs> uh, so we promptly apologized. Um, but we noticed that there were a lot of other people doing the same thing. And yeah. so we asked the Gap affiliate manager if we could get permission to do the same thing. Uh, and uh, the Gap affiliate manager, you know, said, "What do you mean? There's no one else doing this. It's just you." Uh, and so some, you know, back and forth between our marketing team and uh, and Gap affiliate manager, you know, we were able to piece together that the ads that we were seeing sitting in Seattle on a search for Gap coupons were being reverse geotargeted, um, and so they were available everywhere except for San Francisco where the Gap Affiliate Manager was sitting. And, you know, having <laughs> ha- having built some of the technology used to do that work, uh, I was like, oh, I know what's going on here. And sort of, you know, triggered this uh, idea in my head that, you know, there was a problem that you know, I felt pretty well positioned to solve. Oh, uh, yeah. this is I love yeah. this. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, you know, ultimately, uh, Judy's book wasn't successful. Uh, we just didn't see the opportunity that Yelp did, and uh, you know, we had raised maybe eight million in venture, and um, uh, ended up returning a, a big chunk of that to venture investors and, and closing down the business. Uh, and as wow. as we were closing it down, I'm quickly thinking about like, oh, what about this opportunity? You know, this thing that's not well solved. Like, man, it sure feels like there ought to be a solution out there. Uh, and you know, this was maybe. December-ish timeframe in 2007, I want to say. Um, 
And as you know, affiliate summit happens uh, twice a year, uh, usually in January uh, mm-hmm. and usually sometime in the summer. You know, so early January, I hopped on a flight to Las Vegas uh, and walked around Affiliate Summit and asked people whether they had this problem and how they solved it. And I got a lot of nods of, of people who had this problem and not a lot of great answers for uh, how it was solved. And, you know, sort of I asked them if they had a solution, uh, you know, would that be a thing they'd pay for? And I got a lot of yeses. Um, and so that sort of, you know, was sufficiently um you know, sort of enough of a validation for me that there was something meaningful here to build. Um, you know, and it's, and it's really why Brand Verity started and launched from this focus of solving the affiliate problem and, and the problem in the performance marketing space was kind of came out of this early genesis in our, in our focus there. And so, you know, that was that was the the kicker to go build a thing and went and built a, a beta version and flew back out to Affiliate Summit in the in the uh, August. Um, I want to say it was in Boston, maybe. and and sold our first customers uh, and, you know, then began growing from there. You know, it's outstanding. And now you can look like uh, we were saying on our prep call, hindsight 2020 takes on a a different (laughs) meaning this year, but you can look back and as you were tying that, you know, you were coming to the conclusion of this story, you can see where your, the first startup goes right into this. Totally. Uh, it, right. That's a great story. And what I what I wrote down is the origin is identical to the story I tell of my experience when I'm telling someone they need your brand verity. So it, oh, it was, nice. uh, it's almost identical to what you were saying. Um, the problem that I had uh, early on was um, I had a couple of affiliates who got to know me well. And so they not only geo-targeted out where I was sitting at Coldwater Creek in Sandpoint, Idaho, they knew that I traveled to New York for LinkShare's uh, DealMaker and that I traveled to Vegas for Affiliate Summit West. Wow. And I traveled to uh, uh, Seattle because uh, I, I grew up not too far from where you're at. Yep. And uh, they would target those areas out. But then one day I decided to take a, my family on a vacation and we went to California. And I just happened to look one morning <laughs> and those, they were two trusted affiliates that were totally doing everything that they were not allowed to do. Oh, and, and that was my like impetus to search for something like this. And one of the things I've talked with uh, Steve Denton, Chutes Humphreys, Adam Weiss about is there's an impression of the affiliate channel as less than others. Right. Uh, and, you know, something kind of off, yeah, I kind of have to deal with it. And one of the catalysts of that is this and yeah. the problem that you guys solve. Yeah, I think, um, I, you know, I, I really do feel that the affiliate channel gets a bad rap. Um, and, and I feel affiliates often get the short end of the stick. I think, uh, you know, very much affiliates are at the cutting edge of, uh, new marketing techniques, new marketing channels and programs. Um, and you'll find as a new channel comes out uh, or, you know, is is developing, it'll often be affiliates who really like make that channel work and make it hum. Um, you know, usually before a larger company will have, uh, you know, have developed something, a meaningful approach in-house. Um, you know, but as companies develop their own approaches as channels become more well-proven and more well-trodden, you know, those things tend to move in-house um, uh, because the the brands themselves develop the staff and the professionalism that they take to it and, and they want to own that. And the affiliates who've done the work to build out that channel, you know, often get pushed to, or prove out the channel, let's say, often get pushed to the side as you know, the brands, you know, develop their own expertise mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, I think that's sort of, it's, it's a very unfortunate evolution uh, for many of the uh, publishers in the industry. At the same time, I think it's a, it's a real testament to why a company should always have an affiliate program. Uh, you know, is you, you, there'll be things that you can't try um, or don't have the focus or energy to try. And chances are there's somebody in the affiliate world who's experimenting and proving it out and, and yeah. making it grow. And, and, you know, there's certainly situations where 
you know, there have been things that just have remained in the channel because the business itself can't replicate it. Yeah, definitely. Now, along this, uh, this timeline, at what point did you, uh, you get married and start a family? So uh, I married my high school sweetheart. Um, Outstanding. Uh, we, you know, met in high school, uh, and we remained together through college. We went to different colleges. Um, it was sort of, I describe wow. it as the perfect distance for a relationship to survive college. Uh, it was, I was in Boston, she was in Amherst, uh, and okay. it allowed us to see each other with enough frequency that, you know, we, we continued to grow together, but it also allowed us to sort of have our separate worlds and, you know, understand, you know, build our separate friends and kind of not get lost in a relationship. Um, and so, you know, we, which never happens in college, right? Never happens. I mean, how many never. friends have you seen that just fall off the face of the earth once <laughs> they get in a relationship in college? And I definitely wasn't that friend. No, way, not me. <laughs> never. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, we, uh, we got married in 2002. Um, so this is, you know, pre, uh, you know, certainly pre uh, Brand Verity, um, yep. but we had our first daughter in 2009, uh, and so Brand Verity. I started working on it in late 2007. We incorporated in 2008, sold our first customers late in 2008, um, and had our first daughter in mid 2009. And so, you know, it, we were actively in the in the middle of growing a family um, as. I was trying to get Brent Parity off of the ground. Um, and, uh, you know, like I'm sure with your own family and, and your business, I, there's so many competing demands. Uh, oh, man. And <laughs> it's so hard to figure out, uh, you know, how to, how to navigate, how to, how to navigate all those things. You know, there's, there's always more to do, you know, either to support your family or to, to, to support your business. And um, yeah, there's, there, there's never, yeah, when are you done? Right. Right. <laughs> neither. No. What? <laughs> right. Now, you know, I, I've started, uh, I started three companies, uh, two that were successful, one that was not. And I know uh, with my spouse, I had to ask permission on that third one. <laughs> yes. Starting a company yes. is hard. Yes. You know, how, how was her, you know, how important was she to the decision to start something else? You know, was she involved in the company? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, absolutely incredible support uh eva my wife um when uh, i initially launched Randberry, uh she was working at microsoft um and that was huge uh microsoft as, as a, a you know gold standard benefits uh yeah. I'm, I'm you know maybe it's in cadillac plans now i don't know but they had an incredible incredible benefit plan that made it much easier for me to take that risk um and uh you know she was supportive, um, as, uh, you know, I stopped receiving pay and, and started instead paying other people. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, she always had confidence in, uh, uh or comfort or trust, um, in the decisions that I was making. Uh, and so that support from her was, you know, I, I cannot overstate it enough. Um, and you know we've tried to support each other's careers at different different points. Certainly, uh, when we moved out to back to Boston to, for her graduate program, you know that was a decision we made together to support her. And kind of coming out of that, uh, you know she she chose to to support me. And then you know once we had our our first daughter, once I, once I was able to pay myself a little bit of a salary, um, I guess after we had our second daughter, she then took a little bit of time off and. Um, you know, help navigate them through the early years. And, um, you know, we were fortunate that, that at that point I was able to support to some extent, uh, you know, that, that work, um, you know, before she, she returned to the workforce. And so it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced a very similar, um, you know, give and take with, with your spouse, mm -hmm. but I, I can't overstate enough, um, you know, how important that sort of trust, confidence and support has been. Yeah, you know, we both have similar uh, first investors in our current right. organizations. <laughs> right. uh, my my wife uh, did the same thing, and and we already had um, we already had three when I started JEB, wow. and she went uh, she went back to work so we could do that, and so she she carried a hundred percent of the load, you know, uh, just like your wife. 
Uh, and yeah, I'm learning we have a lot more in common than I thought before we started this. Yeah. Um, th- that's, that's awesome. You know, I, I've learned that, uh, and she, my wife worked here for a long time, was our CFO. Oh, um, fantastic. And so she done tremendous work here and, and it was good to, to work together on our fourth, uh, she decided it was time that accounting <laughs> was less interesting than, uh, than raising children. So we changed that around. Now, um, you started having kids at, at Brand Verity. Talk to me about like, you know, you're, you're building things up. Uh, and, and I know like a startup can require, uh, and can, uh, can use a hundred percent of your yeah. time. Um, how, what, what, what did you find as the struggle? How did you and, uh, and your wife work through that? Like starting an organization and taking it to an acquisition and running a family. Uh, I, I'm, I, I just raised my blood pressure saying that out loud, you know, <laughs> oh, talk I mean, to me about that. <laughs> you're, you're, you're in it as well. Um, you know, we just had an employee go on, um, on our maternity leave. And uh, a bunch of the, the parents in the company you know, put together tips and suggestions or thoughts and words of encouragement. Um, and I think one of the things I had written down was uh, uh, that kids, uh, you know, babies in particular, you know, even younger children have an incredible ability to recognize when you're not giving them 100% of your attention. Um, and, uh, you know, I certainly going into uh, the birth of our first daughter and I I had this view in my head that that I'm a great multitasker. Um, (laughs) and, (laughs) and, uh, I had visions of like getting, you know, getting emails out, doing calls while I was, you know, swaddling her or, you know, rocking her to sleep or holding my arms. And that just did not happen. Uh, as I'm sure you can attest to. Oh, sure yeah. most With a baby? To. <laughs> yeah. Women uh, around the world, if they're listening to this, that have children are laughing at us right now for thinking that right. we could do that. <laughs> uh, you know, so... I, I honestly don't know how how I got through it, how we got through it. Um, you know, it felt like I would always move from one thing to another, and um, yeah, you know, I, I do feel that as you become a parent, you find a new reservoir of efficiency um, that, or at least I did, um, that I didn't know that I had before. And so, you know, while my total time uh, available to do stuff, obviously you know, to do the things work related and dropped precipitously. Um, I was, I, I feel that I also did become more efficient and more effective with the time that I had. You know, I, I remember this activity we did in a parenting class we took beforehand where we had to draw, um, we had, we received a sheet of paper and it had a bunch of squares on it. And there was like a square for sleep and a square for, uh, <laughs> they had a square a, for sleep, <laughs> a square for exercise. And then they gave us 24 Skittles and we had to put the Skittles, um, what our world looks like now on, on this, like, you know, grid of activities, you know, I had like eight squares in sleep and, you know, like, 10 or 12 in work and you know what i had them scattered around yeah. and uh then they uh, they said okay now take eight away um and like i i just remember that moment of like i can't i this not, it's not possible <laughs> i can't take any away I, I, I can't do that that's not like maybe i could take away two there's no way um yeah what a great exercise yeah i, I mean uh, I don't know. I don't know if it was successful. Um, it just made me convince myself that I would be great at multitasking, which turned out not to be true. <laughs> yeah, I, I did the same thing. Um, I, I'm, I have achievement in my personality, and mm-hmm. the whole child rearing process kind of threw that into question. You, know, you just there aren't enough skittles, right? <laughs> <laughs> And re- remind me again how, how large your family is. Um, I, I have I wanna... four. Yeah, and Let's, and we uh... had the one thing, and and you and I we talked about this at one of the summits. I I we have a twenty four year old. He turns twenty four today, and actually works at JEB Commerce. That's um, amazing! Congratulations! And a thank you, and a twenty year old, and then we have. Um, you know, that wasn't enough. So we have a 13 and a, and a 12 year old. And like my lesson on all of that was once the older kids left the the nest, 
my lesson or what I learned is it moves so fast. Mm -hmm. And I remember the early years of, of JEB um, spending too much time uh, either in the, in the business, on the business or worrying about the business. Right. And, and, and then that I, I was blessed with those two, uh, and I do look at it as a blessing, these two uh, groups of uh, children and some time in between where I, I, I had a little bit to look and say, well, I made some mistakes there and I, I did the best I could, made some mistakes. I want to kind of change that. And so, you know, with the, the second set, I think priorities are more in line and at least the, I, I still work as much, but yeah. I don't worry about right. the job. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. And did you, you know, through that building and then maybe even considering the acquisition, did you find yourself kind of consumed even when you weren't working? There were, yeah, um, for sure. Uh, you know, it's it's hard not to be consumed with either business or family, right? And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, particularly, you know, in the earlier stages of both when, uh, you know, they need more time to be, to be successful. Um, and I've certainly found, you know, like it's, it's hard to find time for yourself. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm in this peer mentoring group and every, uh, every month we check in on three metrics, uh, you know, uh, company, family and self. And, uh, you know, I always had a pretty uh, great read on, and I could, could talk deeply about state of company and family. Uh, but like, you know, really struggled to talk about self um, mm -hmm. because it wasn't an area that uh, like it, it, you know, almost felt, and I think still does to some extent, like a luxury to sort of spend time on self-care when you have so many other things which are important and pressing and, yeah. uh, and impactful. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, let's talk about the acquisition. That yeah. recently happened. That happened kind of right in the middle of all right this <laughs> uh, turbulence, right? So tell sure. me, you know, uh, tell me what you can about it. I'm dying to know. I I know the the team at Partnerize, and and I was talking with uh, Andrew, who's going to be on the podcast in a couple weeks, um, you know, about stuff. And I said, you know, when I heard about it, I thought these are two sets of really great people. I can see why this is happening, but tell me, tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a really great, um, it's a great team and a uh, great company and, uh, you know, lot, lots of things that I think are kind of fascinating. You know, we, um, uh, we actually received uh, an offer from a business outside the performance space, uh, you know, maybe like late summer and uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, the, the right offer at the time. And, um, you know, we declined it, but we we continued to talk to them, and along the way, I'd hired an advisor to help help me evaluate that. And so, you know, we actually you know ran a process, and um, you know, the original company we were talking to, uh, you know, put together a much more compelling offer. And uh, you know, come January this year, uh, I think that was likely going to be the thing that we we accepted. Um, mm. uh, Partner eyes closed their round and you know, almost immediately reached out, uh, and it was such you know an obvious fit that it uh, you know quickly put a pause in the process as we we looked more deeply at this. Wow, one. And, you know, it had to be I, hard to do. Oh boy, uh, for sure. Uh, you know, I've known the the team at Partner Eyes almost since the in the inception of Brand Verity. Um, yeah. Uh, so dating all the way back to Biat. Uh, so, uh, the, you know, a lot of the partnerized team comes from Bayat. Um, I've gotten to know particularly, you know, certainly Mal, but particularly Paul Fellows really well over the years. Uh, you know, he was the first company to make a big bet at Bayat. Um, but, he, you know, they were the first company and he was the first person to really make a big bet on Brand Verity. Um, a lot of our early, early traction, early successes were you know, certainly OPMs were a, a really important um, early customer firm for, for us at Brand Verity and really essential, I think, in our establishment and growth. Uh, we began to win some brands, um, you know, but Bayat was the first network uh, that uh, decided that they wanted to make 
a bet on us. Um, and we were far from a, a proven prospect. Um, hmm. You know, I think at the point that, uh, you know, it was a relatively long sort of sale process, um, uh, but it really forced us as a business to up level the quality of the offering and the work that we do. Um, and, you know, they, Biat eventually got sold to AOL. Um, AOL eventually sold off Biat to AWIN. AWIN, uh, or it was Affiliate Window at the time, Affiliate Window um, eventually, uh, you know, chose to retire an internal technology that they had built and, and instead uh, lean on Brand Verity technology. And, um, you know, the the impact that Paul in particular had on our early growth and early bet, uh, you know, it's really stuck with me over the years. To be honest, it it it, it helped yeah. us become, I think, the business that we became. And so when when they reached out, uh, I was you know sort of instantly excited about you know working with them as individuals and as a team, and um, and you know appreciated a lot of what they had done for brand verity over the years, um, you know, in different orgs, right. Of course. Um, and, you know, we already shared a number of customers with Partnerize. I think there's, there's likely a lot more customers where, where we could work together, but uh, there were a couple of, I think, really important things, uh, you know, for, for me that sort of made this kind of the obvious fit, you know, certainly, you know, those relationships over time, um, you know, Partnerize has got a tremendous global footprint, uh, that's been, you know, Brand Verity has, you know, certainly uh, a strong base in the U.S. We've got some business in Europe. We have very little in, in APAC, uh, you know, very little outside of the U.K. and Europe. Um, some, uh, but, you know, not nearly the extent. And so I think we saw the relationship as a chance to grow uh, our, our international footprint in a way that um, has been hard. Uh, mm-hmm. Second, second. Um, you know, it's sort of, it's really interesting to think about a platform or a network acquiring Brand Verity. Um, we support a lot of different participants in the affiliate marketing space. Uh, we work yeah. with brands, we work with agencies, we work with networks, we work with publishers. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really, like, I, I wasn't about to go sell a business to an org that was going to shut down one of those. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my yeah. fear with many of the networks is that they would sort of make it exclusive to them um, and, yep. and turn it off for other networks. And from the start, um, you know, Mal and the partnerized team were like, oh, no, no, like we, we understand the role that Burn Verity plays in the industry. Um, in fact, we, we love its role in elevating the industry. You know, we talked earlier about how you know affiliate marketing has often gotten short shrift um, in uh, in marketing de- departments and yep. uh, you know sort of taking away the concerns of what happens to your brand in a program uh, you know really can help elevate uh, affiliate and it really does I think help elevate affiliate um, you know beyond its sort of maybe humble beginnings uh, and you know, they, they really valued that role and and wanted to invest and grow it uh, you know as opposed to sort of using it as a thing that would become a USP, you know, bullet point and strategic advantage. Um, mm-hmm. they, they thought more broadly about, you know, how do we raise the boat in the industry? And so, you know, given our footprint and given our customer base and given the relationships that I personally have built over the years, that was really important and really essential and something I really valued um, as we were talking about how we would work together. That's awesome. Now, when you knew this was going to happen, who's, who's on the other end of the first call you make? Oh, <laughs> Uh, it never felt certain until until we closed. Really? <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, you know, this is the conversation started in January. Um, you know, I, uh, I I waited to become a little bit more real before I talked with my family. Um, you know, I mm-hmm. wanted, you know, I, I I didn't want to put them through the emotional roller coaster of this thing that was may or may not happen. Um, you know, so they were certainly, uh, you know, I would say as it became more real, you know they learned about it you know we had to bring brought in our executive team our leadership team um you know relatively early in the process as well um and, and a few folks that supported the diligence process um now yeah, but once it you know finally finally closed um uh, and you know was 
you know, again, it's all happening in COVID and economic uncertainty is flowing everywhere and, uh, and so on. And so, you know, as we're finally closing this out, um, uh, it was, of course, my wife and then my dad yeah. and then my sister and actually, you know, I would say wife and family. Uh, my daughters have, have kind of been following the process as well. Oh, that's great. I, I bet they learned, they've probably learned a ton and will never <laughs> forget like that moment. They, uh, you know, it's interesting um, seeing something like this, you know, through their eyes, mm-hmm. um, you know, that it, uh, you know, it has a very real impact on their world. Um, yeah. Uh, I think at the moment, uh, my daughters are like, does that mean we can get a dog? Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> I love that. Did you get him a dog? Um, you know, we're, we're still negotiating that as a family, um, much in the same way that, uh, we've talked about the time that goes into, uh, raising a family and, and running a business. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about, you know, how you know, we, we need to contract in the family about how we'll care for the animal. And <laughs> we um, do the same probably... thing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and we have four dogs, eight horses. Wow. <laughs> we, we at one point had 32 animals that were not humans on our, our property out here. We, we don't anymore, but, and there was a contract for every single one. That's awesome. Rabbits, lizards, anything. Yep. So, uh, you know, we, we were working on drafting a contract and, uh, we'll, we'll see where we go from there. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I love the story. Um, and, and really congratulations. Thank you. Uh, like I said, when we talked on the phone earlier, um, you know, you, you, you guys built a hell of a tool, uh, and everyone we've ever spoken with, worked with at your company is definitely, you can see, uh, you can see its founder in them and they're, they're great to work with and really good people. And, and so it's been a, a pleasure to watch now for our you, listeners. You, you, might, you might see them in the founder. Um, uh, I really <laughs> feel fortunate and to have worked with the folks that we've worked with. And in many ways they've shaped me. And I, I think that it's, it's been one of the things I didn't anticipate, but I found to be stunningly rewarding about growing a business. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've, but I've come to this, awareness that uh entrepreneurship is a crucible of self-awareness and and Mm. and your employees like they learn a lot from you but like you said man you you learn so much from them yeah it's um it's 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 probably one of the best ways to learn from another person so now for our listeners who are going, okay, well, this has all been fantastic. What is brand verity? So tell, tell <laughs> me now we know kind of the, the origin and the problem yeah. that it started with. Uh, but tell me more about the problem it solves and how it solves it. Cause I really think one of the keys that we in the industry need to keep doing is sharing about these tools that solve the problems that keep people from engaging in this channel or uh, not putting adequate budgets in this channel or, you know, just not really understanding it. So tell us the, you know, the problem, what it does, how it does it, and all the, the, the benefits of working with a tool like this can bring to an advertiser. At the highest level, uh, we help ensure that brands are, are safe and protected in the affiliate channel and that marketing programs are, are ROI positive and mm. uh, you know, that actually collectively add incremental value. Uh, we have two services. Uh, the first service monitors paid search to ensure affiliate compliance with uh, uh, paid search policies. And you know, typically that involves with ensuring that affiliates are doing the things that they're supposed to do or not supposed to do around brand, branded keywords, use of brand and ad copy. Um, and you know helps ensure that they don't compete with a brand's uh, in-house paid search spend in places where you don't want them to. Uh, and then our second second service is a web compliance service, and it crawls the web and it helps ensure that affiliates are using the disclosure that they're supposed to do. They're presenting content in the way that the brand wants it presented, and uh, are compliant with the various regulations that might impact an industry. So certainly consumer finance, you know, has to do with the card act and our, mm-hmm. our rates and terms. Correct. Um, it also is applied to FTC disclosures and so on and so forth. And those, that, those can get pretty big fines with those FTC disclosures. They can. And you know, there certainly have been enforcement actions in the past. 
uh, and you know, at the, at the PMA, we just wrote uh, a response uh, to uh, a call for comments um, on some of their disclosure guidance that they're working on revising and, and releasing. Uh, and so it's, you know, it, it's an area that's sort of, I think, that's receiving increased scrutiny. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at the same time, uh, you know, it's, it, it's important, you know, both for, for brands, but also to ensure that consumers uh, trust uh, all of the participants in the channel, whether it's the brand or the publisher or, uh, uh, or, you know, the words that they're reading. Yeah. And, you know, trust relationships, those are, you know, what this channel is about. And one of the things I've always enjoyed benefiting from with working with your organization is, um, you know, channels, they need to maintain, you know, their integrity in their spend and what it's mm-hmm. bringing in. And it's been a knock on the affiliate industry, you know, from the inception that, you know, you hear, well, they're just coming in at the end or they're taking sales. I would have anyway. And having a tool where you can limit that significantly uh, in the, the paid search uh, channel, you know, allows you to have much more confidence that the budget spend you're actually, uh, you know, applying to the affiliate is generating a higher return, um, you know, or is generating an actual return, you know, that what you see is what you're actually getting. I think it really helps, um, you know, certainly as, uh, companies consider launching programs. I think it helps remove an objection to the program, which is that it's going to compete with their existing channels. Um, because you can't ensure, uh, that affiliates are doing what, what, you know, you've contracted them to do. Um, and then it also, you know, helps ins- helps protect the channel within a marketing department, you know, from other folks who are fighting for budget and, uh, you know, like we'll look for opportunities to, you know, kind of cast sand to some extent or, or toss FUD on, on the affiliate channel um, yeah. uh, with, you know, when they might find something which, you know, is a little amiss, but, and hasn't been addressed, but by, by keeping them under control and managed and, and visible to the right parties, you know, that all can be prevented. Now, um, if I'm an advertiser and I'm like, wait, how how are they, how, what are they doing in paid search that I don't know of? What's the most common sort of ways that they will, you know, sort of attack that integrity of other channels, you know, and 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 do things that you know not, are not protecting the brand? Yeah, so I think you know the best example, and and I think the thing that uh, we see targeted most often is that an unscrupulous affiliate will go after they'll run paid search ads on the brand's own uh own search terms um and so you know typically when someone does a search for a brand like let's say amazon uh they're using search navigationally and they're going to amazon to make a purchase um Mm -hmm. and so there's really high purchase intent um when a when a search is for the brand itself and that often means uh you know there's not as much competition on those those keywords as well and so it can be really profitable if you're able to, you know, for an affiliate to, or I guess profitable for an affiliate and, and costly for, for a brand uh, to go and purchase ads on searches involving navigational keywords, branded branded keywords, branded and trademark keywords. And what they'll often do, again, this is sort of the unscrupulous case. Um, and when they do so without permission, there's absolutely a, a class of affiliates that have built their entire business and do this phenomenally well. Um, and can replace uh, a brand's own uh, paid search team. Uh, but what um, some of the unscrupulous folks will do uh, is they will also use a display URL of the brand itself. And so if mm-hmm. you're doing a search for Amazon, you might see an ad that says amazon.com and that ad will be listed above the organic listing. Um, and that could be an affiliates ad. Uh, and uh, you know the user's going to Amazon anyway. They're going to click that first organic listing or maybe the affiliate displaced the brand's ad itself. Um, uh, and the affiliate you know, just ends up getting a, a portion of a, of a transaction that would have otherwise happened. Uh, and so it's this search on brand terms um, that uh, is, I would say, and using a display URL in an unauthorized way that can be most impactful for a brand. And of course, uh, affiliates will go out of the way to hide this. Uh, so mm, yep. you know, we talked about reverse geotargeting, so running the ads everywhere, but where you are, they'll you know do things like run them at night, um, or yeah. you know when they don't think you're looking, 
uh, you know, a few years ago, we saw an affiliate that was exploiting uh, a sort of a loophole or a, a flaw in in Firefox. Um, I'm sure if you, if you remember browsers, you know, when you click a link uh, on a page and then come back to that page, the link will look a different color. And so this affiliate uh, was buying paid search ads like we were describing on branded terms. Uh, and when a user clicked that link, they were taken to, uh, for just a split second, a page. Uh, and that page would do a bunch of checks uh, on the user to see if they thought it was someone like you or me, uh, you know, affiliate manager, agency, or, or technology platform. Um, and wow. if the user passed those checks, um, so they thought it was a normal consumer, they'd send them through their affiliate link. If the user, they thought it was someone like you or me, uh, they would uh, instead route them directly to the brand without the affiliate link. And so you would never know who it was that had sent that traffic. <laughs> Tricky, what they tricky, what they were checking tricky. in that split second, they were loading about a thousand URLs, um, and they were using uh, a, C, a JavaScript um, CSS exploit to see whether those URLs would have changed color. Basically, had the user visited that URL before, and those URLs were things like you know the CJ uh, publish or merchant login page, uh, Brand Verity's <laughs> login page was on there. They had Rakuten's Exchange, uh, I know, uh, when Exchange was out on the web, uh, URL on there. Um, like, you know, sort of all sorts of signals that might indicate wow. that this person was someone that could be looking for them. Um, and if they were, then, you know, the, they wouldn't show anything that would could be used to figure out who it was that was doing the activity. <laughs> There's a I, lot of creativity in there. <laughs> the listeners cannot see me, but my jaw is on the crowd. That is incredible. So uh, one, we, you know, we talked about innovation earlier. Uh, innovation also has a, a dark right. side to right. it. That's it. Uh, so you found this out. What, what did you do? What do you guys do to, with that? Yeah. So, you know, we've certainly, it's been a, you know, and this is, you know, a lot of technology investments we've made over the years. Um, you know, it's very much a cat and mouse game between our discovery technology and uh, some of the bad actors. Uh, you know, we've we filed patents against some of the things that we uh, that we do that um, we think are sort of unique and particularly clever for finding bad actors, uh, and you know, we're uh, I think often able to trick that person in the middle into thinking that we're a normal consumer and and sh giving us their affiliate ID uh, so we can report that back to the merchant and and they can take the action necessary. That's awesome. And I know, you know, with our clients, there's a level of comfort and security knowing that we don't have to do that ourselves. You know, we don't, you know, and I don't know any agency that does have that sort of expertise and know, you know, be able to find something like that, nor have the tools. So it's great having you guys in our, you know, in our, uh, on our corner. Yeah, uh, no, likewise. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, love it. You know, it's a great service. If you're an advertiser listening and you're, you're struggling, you know, with, uh, making sure that the spend is protected and your brand is protected and you're not working with brand verity, I'll definitely highly recommend it. So Dave, I want to thank you. This has been a tremendous conversation. Uh, and I've learned, I've learned a ton about you. You have a bunch of stuff that, you know, it doesn't really come out when you're uh, sitting at a dealmaker table at one of the conferences. So I've really enjoyed this. If uh, if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you or uh, want more information on Brand Verity, uh, where do they go for both of those? Yeah, so uh, you know, certainly brandverity.com uh, is is you know lots of good good content there. Uh, my email is dave at brandverity.com. Uh, you can just shoot me an email there, and you know, I'm certainly happy to to help how I can, whether it's a a product that we have or not, I'm always happy to, to offer thoughts and opinions and, and, and help solve problems. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending uh, a little over an hour with me and uh, giving me a view and, and our listeners a, a view into uh, you know your career, uh, the different startups, how that all weaved together, how you managed family, and then uh, the acquisition. And again, congratulations on that. Excited for you and, and for PartnerEyes. So thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me. Yeah, no, likewise, Jamie. I really appreciate you know, the opportunity to, to chat more. I always enjoy our conversations and have had fun. So I appreciate it. All right. 
That was a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And what a crazy story at the end. So Dave, thank you for your service. Thank you for spending time with me. And remember, if you want to get a hold of him, uh, go to brandverity.com. We'll also include links in the show notes as well. One thing I do want to highlight is how exactly these podcasts are being published. We have a new client, rss.com. And I got to tell you, getting this podcast live, one of my biggest anxieties was how in the world am I going to publish this? How do I make sure it's on all the places where people listen to? And then we started working with rss.com and they do a tremendous job. Now, I am a little bit technical, but not incredibly technical. And their service made it extremely easy. So the hardest thing I had to do was get guests record it. And once I had that podcast done, they made it tremendously easy. In fact, when I was done with it, I kept looking around trying to think if there were more things I had to do. So if you're looking at doing a podcast, I definitely wanted you to take a look at rss.com. They handle all the the publications and you'll have a, a RSS feed of your podcast. And it was tremendously easy. So definitely check out rss.com. Now, if you're running an affiliate program, you're an advertiser and you need help with anything, I definitely encourage you to go to uh, jbcommerce.com. Check out our blog. We have a bunch of resources in there. I recorded uh, tons of videos in all of 2020, giving you tips and tricks uh, and strategies and tactics for you to do uh, and run a really well managed and successful and profitable affiliate program. So check those out. If you need help, you can email me directly at gethelp at jebcommerce.com and list your problem and I will spend uh, you know as much time as I can helping you with it. You can also set up 15 minutes, a half hour, even an hour with me directly by using my calendar, uh, Calendly link at calendly.com slash Jamie Birch. So don't hesitate to call us for any of your affiliate management questions. We would love to help. And don't forget, if you like this blog and you found it useful, please share it. I bet other people will too.